and welcome to another episode of Beginning Teacher Wednesdays. I'm your host, Jen Hawkins, and I am so excited to share today's episode with you. This week, we have an amazing guest, Chris DeLay, and we are going to dive into what social-emotional learning looks like for educators. We do a lot of work about what it should look like for students, and sometimes the part we are missing is what it should be looking like for adults. Krista is an amazing guest and has so much knowledge to share, and I cannot wait for you guys to listen to this episode. Before we get started, I'm just going to be honest and transparent that there are some topics that are discussed within uh, this podcast episode that may be triggering for some people. Uh, We talk about SEL work and what that looks like for our students, um, and when talking through our experiences, Krista and I discuss some topics such as eating disorders, self-harm, and suicide. So I just wanted to make you aware that those conversations, while they come up very briefly, are brought up in the episode. Uh, And so if you do not feel like that is appropriate for you to listen to today or that's not going to put you in a great headspace, please go ahead and just save this episode for later on. So if you are ready to dive into it, make sure you got somewhere comfortable to sit. Make sure you have a notebook handy because you're going to want to take notes and grab your beverage of choice because we're sitting down for the next 45 minutes with Crystal A. Not only do we have our amazing guests and so many things to look forward to in season two, but we are excited to announce that we are partnering again with Papa Murphy's of Raleigh as our sponsor for this podcast. Papa Murphy's is a really easy way to just order ahead, get your take and bake pizza, have it waiting for you on the drive home from work, and just pop it right in the oven. Uh, It makes life real easy, especially when things get crazy at school. From August 18th to August 23rd, Papa Murphy's is running a 40% off large or family size pizza discount. Uh, You just have to go to papamurphys.com and use the code AUGUST40. That's A-U-G-U-S-T-4-0. Tell us a little bit about how you became a teacher and your journey into your first few years of teaching. I didn't go into school to be a teacher. Okay. So I went in thinking I was going to be an international lawyer, having taken Spanish and French, and I had a deep love of cultures. And um, I realized that if I didn't go to law school, I was pre-law at Penn State. If I didn't go to law school, what was I going to do with my life? So I switched to a history major. Okay. I realized, what am I going to do with a history? <laughs> um, so I became, I'm like, maybe education. And so my major became secondary ed social studies. And I fell in love with it in the first year. Yeah. They had us out in the classrooms in my second semester. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this is where I want to be. The students, I was, I was doing pre-service teaching in middle school and they lit me up every single day. I came home inspired and I'm like, holy cow, this is it. And so then I went back to my parents. I'm like, mm, I'm not going to law school, <laughs> going into teaching. And I already knew I wanted to be a high school teacher because um, I had an, I have an amazing family. I had very good friends, but I still remember days in middle school and high school thinking, what the heck is going on? Where do I fit in? And just feeling a sense of loss and not knowing what my future held. And I'm like, I want to go back. And even though I do love social studies, I love that age group even more because there's a lot of confusion about Mm. identity. Who are we? 
who are we going to be? And those are the, the students I wanted to work with. I think it's um, I think it's interesting you talk about Penn State having you in the classroom that second semester. It's a conversation I have a lot of times with people. I went to the University of South Carolina, and one of the things I talk about their teacher program so highly is similar to you. I didn't think I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I went in to be an accountant, uh, and then I realized they don't talk to people all day, so <laughs> that, that was going to be an issue. But they had us, you know, almost help us wade ourselves into the water like we did that second semester. We went in and just observed. And then by the second year, you were going in maybe teaching a lesson or something. And then we did a whole full year of student teaching. You did a half day of student teaching. So what they did was they split it in an upper grade and a lower grade. So I was elementary ed. So I got to do like, I did sixth grade half days with some um, like fundamental courses. Um, so I could kind of plan my lessons with a professor and then go ahead and teach them those half days for the whole semester. And then the second semester was a 100% full day with no classes. And I think that it was just a great setup because as someone who didn't know 100% if they wanted to be a teacher, I still had the opportunity to kind of change my mind in the beginning, but also by the time I got to student teaching, I was, there was no fear. I I agreed with you. Yes. And so Penn State had me in the classroom my second semester. I was pre-student teaching my junior year. I did my student teaching in my senior year. It was a whole semester. And you're right. By then I had I mean, I was still nervous. Absolutely. I was still nervous, but I knew it was what I wanted to do. I was still passionate about it. And it's interesting because when I, I was a high school teacher for 10 years, and then I became an instructional coach. So I was an instructional tech coach for three years and a curriculum coach for two. In those 10 years, I had two student teachers from a local university. Um, the first time they had ever been in a classroom was when they stepped in for, with me. Yep. For ever. And I'm like, what? What? And one of them ended up not being a teacher, Mm -hmm. but he still works with kids. He is phenomenal and amazing. And he runs a a summer camp for kids and families. So he's still involved in education, just not in the traditional sense. Right. Yeah. I think um, I hear that a lot of times of, you know, some schools seem to really spread it out. Some schools, it's kind of just like your first day of student teaching here you are. And I think, that that's something that universities and colleges really need to start looking at um, is how can we kind of break this into smaller chunks and give students these opportunities. And one of the things I also say, and I don't know if this is similar to Penn State, so maybe you might be able to help me. What I tell a lot of times, if you're looking to go into a teaching program, look at the school districts around it Because when I went to South Carolina, there were five school districts that touched it. So you had access to a lot of opportunities. I think that's how they were able to kind of spread us out those four years. Whereas if you're at a college or university, there's one school district next to it. They can only put so many student teachers in at a time. That's amazing advice to look at. And so you're making me reflect at Penn State, we were in the center of the state. I went to University Park campus. And I'll be honest, I fought for my, I fought them against my student teaching placement because I wanted to come back home. So I didn't mm. have to pay money for rent at a place because I didn't have money. Right? Yeah. Um, and they put me at the Milton Hershey school, which was 
the best experience I could have ever had. So the Milton Hershey School is a private boarding school for kids whose parents are having um, issues financially, or maybe the the um, parents aren't able to take care of their kids. And so they the kids have to apply to go to the school and they live there all through grade school up to high school and are provided almost everything they could possibly ever want. And they live in family houses um, during their time there. And so it was incredible to get to meet such a great diversity of students from all around the world. And I don't know that I would have had that opportunity going to another school or a school, like you said, where there was only one school district or uh, division around. Yeah. I would also say, and I don't want to keep harping on this because I know it's not the, the center of our, of our talk tonight, but I, like you were saying too, I think you also have to have grace with yourself and try to find a program that's going to have grace with you. Um, student teaching is a really big financial hardship we don't talk about. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, I had to give up all my jobs. I had two jobs on campus. Um, I was putting in close to 60 hour work weeks before student teaching and you just, you can't. Um, and so not only are you losing your income, but you're losing, uh, you're having to still pay tuition. And so I remember the summer before student teaching, I knew I had to bank as much money as possible. I lived on like egg sandwiches for the whole summer because it's very difficult. It absolutely is. And they were so emphatic that we are not to have a job. So you're right. And I worked all through college. I worked in the college of education and had a job at Penn state as well. So it sounds like we had similar experiences and like, okay, I need to make this work for a couple months. Um, Absolutely. And thankfully my parents did help me out so much and I was able to do it, but many people aren't. Yep, for sure. Um, Okay, so that's how you kind of got into teaching. You want to kind of tell us a little bit about those beginning years. Um, What were some of those big wins and what were some of the things that were maybe a little difficult or tough lessons to learn? Hmm. That's a, that's a, that's a big question. I know. Do you want me to break it down? <laughs> <laughs> like, woo. Um, so my, some of the big ahas that I had in my first couple years is that secondary ed teachers have a very different mentality than elementary ed. And I yes. had a deep respect for elementary ed that I did not have admittedly going through college. So I'm here taking 400 level history courses on England in the 1600s and pedagogy, and my my friends are making bulletin boards. Like, what's up with this? Um, But related to our topic, what I missed and what we didn't have was social-emotional learning Hmm. in pre-service education. Like, we learned about pedagogy, but not about emotions and us and in the context that I think is really important for teachers to know nowadays to be able to connect and relate to kids. Um, But when I did get into the classroom, I realized that my elementary friends had so much patience and to be able to work with the same group of students all day long, my kids were coming in and out every 45 minutes, which was awesome. And I loved that. Um, But I realized that if you ask a secondary teacher, generally, I'm making a stereotype, what do you teach? They'll tell you the content. And I love social studies, but I loved working with the kids more. And I think that sometimes there's uh, maybe like, oh, we need to get you ready for the next level. 
and oh, we're preparing you for college or for the workforce. And like, let's meet the kids where they're at and love them for them. And the skills and the content will come. I really do believe that. And so um, because you, I had mentioned earlier that I wanted to work with the kids, I noticed that there were a lot of kids in my classes and I taught 10th and 11th grade. So I got to have kids for two years in a lot of ways and I really got to know them well. I would notice the kids who had burns on their arms or the kids who weren't eating their lunch or the kids who would come in glassy eyed. Um, and immediately I'm like, I need to be on what was called the SAP team, which is the student assistance program. It was, it's not, it's to help students who are experiencing barriers to learning. So drugs and alcohol, mental health. And I'm like, let me on this team, let me on this team. And they finally let me on the team. And I, um, like facilitated it for six years, but they took all the other teachers off of it because they didn't have enough staff. Like that was my prep. That's what I did. Mm. So I really got to see how a system works and how we get students support. And it wasn't a disciplinary issue. It was, Hey, what's going on? I care about you. How can I help you move forward? And I realized that it's not a particular type of student who has barriers to learning. It's all students, right? So from people that you assume are straight A, captain of XYZ to the student who's not talking in class and has his head down all like, we need to check in on every single student. Um, and so that got me involved in social emotional learning and really being very purposeful about connecting with every single student that came into my room, even when I had 150 students in a day. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes people are like, what's your dream job? And I think it would be to just sit with people like you and other people we've had on the show and just say like, okay, start from the basics, a teacher prep program, what classes are we going in it and who's teaching it, right? And just come up with the actual teacher prep program that we all need and wanted. And one of the things you mentioned SEL, I think if I was in a group and we had to come up with stuff, something that I might really push for is like just a class on like, what do you do when? Because I remember similar to you, actually, well, very different because my teaching story is crazy. Um, but I started in high school and I, you know, saw a child come in with marks all over them and kind of, they kind of told me what happened. And I'm sitting there at 22 and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I do with this information right now. Um, and so my gut reaction is like, well, I wasn't in high school that long ago. I guess you go to the counselor, right? And the minute they handed me the phone receiver and said, you're going to call uh, the Department of Child Protective Services, I about fell over in my chair. Like no one told me that that's a possibility when that happens. And then you have to actually make the call. And there is a weight that you carry when you do those things that's never talked about. And those things happen K-12. No one tells you what to do when a star player of a sport hands you his suicide note across the table. Mm -hmm. No one tells you what to do when a girl needs to be picked up because she's high and you know her dad's coming and you don't want the dad to take her. And by the way, he picked her up and threw him threw her over his shoulder and, and she's, and I'm like, oh my God, this is awful or when the girl 
needs to go back to the group home because the dad's not allowed to take care of her, you know, and they're calling me and they're like, you need to send so-and-so to the office. And I look at her and she's like, I'm not going. I'm like, like, and I need to walk her to the the guidance office, knowing I'm not going to see her again. Like these are stories and all teachers have these stories for sure. I don't know that like people really understand what it's like and, and what our kids are going through. And, um, and if we are not, and so I know this is about teacher SEL, but every time I learn my experience in developing my teacher, social, emotional learning skills came from learning with and from students. I don't know if that makes any sense, yeah, but like, absolutely. I didn't really have a great sense of who I was and what my core values were and, and stuff until I was 30, but I would meet these kids who seemed so sure and confident and knew right and wrong and and just were trying to find their way and I'm like oh my god (laughs) um they inspired me and I wanted to be there to support them to help them get the best possible life that they could and that they deserved well and I think it does go with adult SEL too because I think uh it teachers almost become sponges um and I kind of liken it to like running a race right if you knew you were going to run a race and you have a little bit of practice running the race, when you run the race, you're going to be like, wow, I'm tired, but this is kind of what I signed up for. I think one of the things that really becomes difficult is when you have those situations, it's like, I didn't know I was running this. I haven't trained at all. No one's helped me. And now I have to kind of like trudge my way through this. And how do you get up and do it again tomorrow? You know, I had a young man, I don't ever think I'll forget his name or his face, but he came up to me my first year of teaching and said, Miss H, what do I do with my gun? And I said, you know, what gun? What? And he said, well, you know, that bridge down the road? I said, yeah. He goes, well, that's where I sleep. And if I don't have it, all my stuff's going to be taken. So I have to have it. But what do I do at school? And that's not talked about. So like, where do you go from there as the adult who's supposed to help kids through all of that? When I was working with students, and I think this is the scary thing that makes teachers not want to touch this stuff with a 10 foot pole, right? I'm not qualified to do this. I'm not. And I do know I am not a counselor. Mm. I know my limits but I know I can be there still for kids. I know I can still show up for them. Um, so it's a little off track, but we in one year had 25% of our kids referred to the SAP team in the school. <laughs> and we're like, holy cow, like we, we need to get out in front of this and be proactive instead of responsive. And so we decided to start a, the, the principal at the time was so forward thinking. He got a grant. We started a student leadership organization. And so we sent out an email to all the teachers and said, we're looking for leadership potential, not your, you know, number one of the class, but like people who, even if it's the kid who's leading the wrong way, <laughs> people are still following them. Right. These are the kids we want. And so we got in 70 kids and we called them down to the auditorium and we said, and they all thought they were in trouble because that's normally what happened. But then they looked around the room and they're like, this is a very strange mix of kids. And we said, look, 
we're looking for maybe 20 of you to, to give this a shot. We wanna work with you, develop your leadership skills. Let's talk about social emotional learning. And then you can take this out to your peer group. Yeah. Um, and we ended up getting 50 of the kids signing up, which was fabulous. It's and awesome. it became a class. And we got to work in small groups with kids hearing what they needed, what their concerns were. And we built the program around them and what they said they wanted. And that was really my first foray into learning about SEL and then thinking about how it applied to me as well. Um, so I don't know if you wanted to go here too, but if you're going to talk about adult SEL, like not only are we dealing with students, but my home life was not perfect either. Mm. Right. So I'm a mom of two kids and I had stuff at home going on, but nobody at school knew that. And I wasn't going to tell people. So you know, as teachers, we still have our own lives and our own things that we're working through, but trying to help our students move forward at the same time. And it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to dive into that really quick before we do. It kind of explained where you are now, what you're doing right now and how you cut. Because for me, there's a clear cut path of how this you were where you were and how you are now. But I want to make that clear for everyone else. So I was 21 years old teaching high school similar to what you were saying, right? And kids are like, oh, we're not that far apart from each other. I'm like, in numbers, yes, but life experience is <laughs> what you think. Um, but being a new, younger teacher, like you hear things and kids are willing to connect with you. And I, I'm using the word kids loosely because I'm not, I'm not I'm saying students, but, um, and so you hear a lot. And I had very firm boundaries on like, I'm your teacher, but I care about you. And so they were, they, students were willing to talk to me. And I know being on part of the SAP team, you weren't necessarily allowed to go up and just talk to kids. Right. Like you had to get parent permission. And I'm like, but I can sit and talk to a kid and be like, Hey, I noticed that you have some marks on your arms and I'm really worried about you. Can you mm -hmm. tell me more about that? Mm -hmm. And he would tell me he did it to himself. I'm like, um, that worries me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we would have these conversations and I got to learn more. Um, and so then when we had, we decided we needed to figure out a way to get in front of this and to arm kids with the knowledge so that they could support and help each other. And it wasn't us as educators um, responding after a crisis happened. And it was working. We had a three-year program that we had set out and that was my connection into ASCD actually, is that we applied to take this program that we created and present and, and talk to people about it. Um, and then at the same time, I had an opportunity, that same leader, that same principal was like, have you ever thought about being a tech coach? And I never dreamed of leaving the classroom, but I also knew me and self-awareness that I was learning through SEL is mm -hmm. that I like to stay where I'm comfortable. And mm -hmm. I thought I'm talking about social, emotional learning, and <laughs> and, you know, moving outside of your comfort zone. I need to start putting my, what do they say? Money where your mouth is. Yeah. Do it. Um, and so I thought, okay, I, I'm going to try this. And then, so that let me work with students and teachers in the middle school and the high school. And that broadened my experiences. And then that grant ran out and they're like, how about curriculum? So I became a curriculum coach for two years for the secondary. And I got to learn all about creating rigorous curriculum design. And I loved it, even though I thought I would hate it. <laughs> But what I ended up doing is I, I decided to leave the classroom full-time. Like I just quit. 
um, because I had an opportunity to go back to school. Mm-hmm. That's for the full time. I had an opportunity to go back to school full time and to earn my doctorate, which was another dream of mine at some point. And I'm like, oh, I need to like take a risk, like yeah. try this and stretch and grow. And I wanted to learn more about SEL so that I could help empower educators and administrators to support students because I saw where that gap was that we were talking about earlier. So for the last eight years, and actually the gentleman who came in to work with us and that leadership team, his name is Tom Stecker. He took me under his wing. He's been working with me and has been a mentor and has helped me grow my own company. So I've actually been doing work as a consultant for 15 years, but eight years not associated with my school district. Um, and now I work in how in supporting administrators and educators in creating sustainable systems of social emotional learning. So it becomes more than a program. It becomes something that you live and breathe every day. It's who you are and what you do. And to do that, you need to really know what SEL is and be willing to learn more about yourself and face who you are and what you stand for because no one can expect you as an adult to do that with students if you're not secure in your own identity. Absolutely. So, okay. So we're going to dive into this because this is, this is great. Let's go. So this is my favorite thing to talk about. So I'm going to be vulnerable here and just kind of shell this out. So I think I just kind of got the SEL thing. And I don't mean that in a um, egotistical way. Right. But it just always made sense to me that I, in order for kids to learn academics, they have to learn, they, they have to learn how to express themselves and get through certain things and be able to talk about emotions before we can ever expect a child to get to academics, right? That just always made sense to me. Um, and that kids have a lot more potential if we create those spaces and, and help them as much as we can to meet those needs and things that they are carrying. Um, but quarantine happens. <laughs> And I can't sleep I, at all. I can't sleep. And most people that know me uh, know that I'm like a brick wall normally when it comes to emotions. I'm the least favorite person you ever want to give a gift to because I simply open it and say, thank you so much. And then just kind of <laughs> like, I like to keep myself just even keeled all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally defer a lot of emotions and feelings with humor Um, and so couldn't sleep at all, started trying everything. Right. And then I start listening to Brene Brown's podcast. I know. And she has on Mark Brackett and Mark Brackett, um, starts talking about this book, Permission to Feel. And it's basically this whole concept of, we have charged schools with teaching social emotional learning but the people that are charged with teaching it never learned it. And it's kind of, you gotta, you gotta dig deep into yourself, people. It's definitely worth a read, definitely worth an audio download, but you gotta, you gotta do some hard work. And so then as a staff this summer for our staff reading list, we put that on there and started digging in. And, you know, I realized that in order for me to be a leader of children and staff, I had to take some steps. I had to start finding ways to process. I had to start, um, f- I found someone to talk to, I found a therapist and all of a sudden I could start sleeping <laughs> and it was like, okay, well, this is how it's manifesting itself. Yes. But it also made, started making me think like, 
do we as a school provide the same space we do for kids, for adults? And is there a line um, between like a, a job and a social emotional learning place? So maybe you can kind of dig into that. Thank you for sharing that, first of all, because it is not easy for people to share. Um, but when you open up and share your story or something that you've had difficulty with, it gives other people around you permission to do the same. Right. Tom Secker, my mentor, I still work with him, told me that. You met him. Yes. The man is brilliant. And he knows his, he has a connection to Mark Brackett somehow. Like his doctor is Mark Brackett's brother-in-law, something like that. And he's been <laughs> talking about that book since it came out. And me too, I am great with telling stories about my kids. I have a hard time with telling stories about me. I almost didn't tell you that I had it difficult at home while I was working with kids. Right. I'm like, do I want to put that out there? Like, you know, and so there's a difference between when we're learning how to talk and facilitate social emotional learning with students, there is a line and we need to think about what is the purpose of this story and am I opening up dialogue for students or am I just using it as a way to process something myself. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's, that's a hard part. Cause I've worked with grown adults who are educators who process their stuff with their, with students. And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. that's not what you're, you know, right. that's what a therapist is for. That's what our adult friends are for. So we need to think about really, what are we sharing and why are we sharing this and for what purpose, mm -hmm. but we do need to share. We do need to talk about how it's not easy and it is hard. Um, and so the other thing that I would say is as an adult, I am not perfect in SEL on any given day. Right. I have ups and downs, but I, I rate myself. So I think about those five competencies of self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. Mm -hmm. I memorized them because, and, and I had a sticky note on my computer and on my books that reminded me of those five competencies until I could say them like this. Right. I worked within each of those competencies until I could tell you what's under each of those because I needed to be reminded of that all the time until it became part of who I am and what I do. I wake up in the morning, I think about SEL. I go to bed and I think about where did I fall today? And some days I'm like, ooh, that was bad. <laughs> like I did not do well with self, like self-management. I get really strong emotions when I'm happy and really strong emotions when I'm upset. Otherwise, I'm pretty even keel, but it takes me a long time to get there. Um, but I think there's a lot of fear that we need to be perfect in all of that in order to facilitate it with students. And that's not true. I think we just need to be aware of it. We mm -hmm. need to know where our strengths are and we need to know where our colleagues' strengths are. So we need to connect with our staff and know what are our strengths and our passions. Because if a student comes to me and says, I'm really struggling with goal setting or I'm having trouble with this part um, or I notice that they, they're having trouble with goal setting. I'm probably not the best person to help them. <laughs> yeah. And I hate to admit that, but that's true. Um, and so I'm going to want to know who to, who to, to send them to because we all bring our personalities into teaching and that's great because all of our kids have different personalities. We're not trying to change who you are as a person, 
but we're trying to get you to be reflective about who you are and why you behave a certain way and just have open conversations with students and have an understanding of that they're developing in these skills mm -hmm. and that these skills are learned. That makes total sense. I think the big thing I'm hearing you say that I think is, uh, it's a... <laughs> I feel like it's a soapbox of mine. It's one I'm willing to, to just die on um, is that in education, we get these buzzwords and then we get so in love with the buzzwords and just saying that they're happening at our school that we're no longer doing them with fidelity. Yes. And I feel like somehow it's like that game of like telephone where someone says something in the beginning and by the time it gets to 200 people, no one knows what was actually said. I feel like uh, SEL started out with like these, like you were saying, competencies and categories and goals. And somehow it has turned into how I'm feeling today. <laughs> yes. And then so check box done and we're in SEL school. <laughs> yeah. And so my, my, I'm sorry for jumping in on this, but yes, you're exactly right. I was working with an administrator in another state and a high school teacher came up to them and was like, so all I have to do is high five the kids when they come into my room and hug them when they cry and I'm doing it. No, no, no. It's a start, but that's not it. It's everything that happens in between. It's the hello, it's the check-in, it's the how I respond to you when you have a head down or you're not paying attention or you make a mistake. Um, it's how I am explicitly weaving all of those pieces into content every content area in every grade. It's the environment that's, you know, what's on display in the walls. It's how I talk to my colleague across the hall or how I answer the phone and the kids hear it. It's everything and we're not meant to be perfect, but when we turn it into a program, it becomes a checked box. Mm -hmm. and, it be, and then we were talking about this on Clubhouse today. I also feel that it becomes inauthentic because it's not you it's not your personality it's not your strengths it's what somebody else wrote for you mm -hmm. and they're like here do this but that how do you know that's what your kids need and that you are making it real and meaningful and authentic and so I'm a big believer that a program's not a bad place to start but there are no programs that hit all five competencies and you need to be you authentic and mm -hmm. if you have strengths in some area leverage that and know that there are strengths in other areas that other teachers will cover too. We don't need to be everything. For just, everyone. Yes. But when we can create a community where we know our staff well enough, our colleagues to know what our strengths are, and we can be honest about that in areas that we need to grow, we can create that net of support for every student because we're working together. So how, how specifically does SEL for students look different than SEL for the staff in the building? There's lots of different theories about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the same set of, this is what I think. It's the same set of skills and it's a continuum of skills. It deepens in complexity and it deepens in context. So I did take all of the learning targets for SEL so there's five competencies and their grade level bands, K to two, three to five, six to eight, nine to 10 and 11 to 12. And I looked at all of these learning targets and I'm like, what are the big themes that are coming out here and skills? They start in kindergarten with being very tied to the individual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the 
because it's all about the kids. Yeah. They're the center of the universe. Oh, oh yeah. They're the center of everyone's universe. Yes. If you ask them, <laughs> imagine world, any, the world, any different. And as you move through, you'll see similar themes like communication and conflict resolution, but the conflicts that people talk about get more complex. Mm. The words become um, deeper and they become more rigorous so that by the time you're a senior, you're looking at who are you in the world, in mm -hmm. a system. Let's talk about vulnerability and integrity and identity and what it means to be an advocate and an ally and an accomplice. And the thing is, is that our kids are thinking about that stuff. Yeah, for sure. I did not think about that when I was a senior. I didn't learn that until I was old, like 30. So when the kids say to me, I actually, I worked at a summer camp for Tom and the, one of the girls was like, oh, Miss Krista, do, are we, do we just suck at this because we're kids and we don't know any better? And I'm like, nope. Cause there's like, you are focusing on developing these skills now so that when you get older and the situations change, you have a skill set that has been enhanced over time and you'll be okay. Some of us adults are still learning these skills. And um, so I think it, it's maybe at what rate we're able to learn them if we open ourselves up. But I think that the skills are the same. Yeah. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and I want to kind of talk about self-care and how it relates to social emotional work because the person I talked to, we might be the only two flukes that this <laughs> just so happened to both of us, but I'm going to take it as maybe a possibility. I'm starting to see self-care thrown out as like um, something that should be done for me of like, um, you know, you're not meeting my self-care or I need this taken off my plate for self-care or, you know, this doesn't help my self-care. Mm -hmm. And the conversation we were having is like, what is this balance between this is the job you're expected to do and, and what is just normally expected of a job? That was part of the conversation. And the other conversation was, do we not understand the definition of self-care because we're lacking in adult SEL skills? Like, are, are we not understanding um, that self-care is almost, it's hard. It, it, it shouldn't be relaxation. I think somehow that's gotten labeled that way, um, but it's doing the tough things to make you better in the long run. I love how, these are such great questions and you're really getting me to think. I feel that that, and I'm going to label it as a myth of SEL. That's okay. mm. I worked with a school district for two years with the administrators and I came back and the questions that they were asking me, they said, well, the teachers think that SEL is taking stress away from the kids. So not assigning homework, letting them go if they get in trouble. I'm like, no, that's not SEL. SEL is not taking stress away from students because stress is not a bad thing. There's eustress and distress and the tipping point for every student is different. It's our job when we talk about SEL and we give them activities to participate to be able to recognize for them 
what is distress and what is eustress and that stress is what moves us forward and motivates us. Mm. So our job when we're facilitating social emotional learning is having them understand that we don't change what happens to us. We're still going to have a job to do. We're still going to have stress in our lives at 16, 21, 44, right? But it's how do I process stress in a healthy way? And how do I recognize that getting, um, you know, butterflies before I go up to do a presentation or before I get on Clubhouse to talk is normal? And that's, and, and so I think that it's looking at what is a myth of, what is really SEL and what is it not? Mm-hmm. I do think that self-care is important, but you said something here too that, and maybe I misunderstood that self-care, you need to take ownership for your self-care. Mm-hmm. You can't expect somebody else to take something off of your plate. That's not the way that it works, I don't think. Um, I was a yes person. Yes, yes, yes to everything. Well, part of my self-care is recognizing boundaries for myself. What can I do? And that if I say no to something, it's often because there's a bigger yes. Um, and understanding that there's, I have to find the boundaries and balance for me. But if you mentioned expectations for the job, like that's interesting. And I, <laughs> me, I'm like, your job is your job. And if you're not doing your job that you don't say like, Hey, I can't grade papers ever because that's self-care. No, that's part of your job to give feedback to students. Mm-hmm. But what self-care can look like are small things that you do to continually revive and rejuvenate and protect yourself. Those boundaries. I almost want to rename self-care like loving your future self, right? It's like, it's not necessarily the thing that's going to make it easy in the moment. So like, for example, <laughs> like, I like it. Like I like bubble baths. I get made fun of for my bubble baths. I don't really care. Anyone can come at me for these Embrace bubble baths. It. Embrace I'm, it. Love your bubble baths. Loving my future self looks like if I know I'm going to have a crazy week at work, do I have enough bubble bath soap to get me through the week? That yes. is self-care. Yes. Um, I know that I'm not my best when I feel unhealthy. So if I take Sunday night and do meal prep for three hours, I'm going to feel a lot better throughout the week when Thursday gets stressful. Didn't take anything off my plate. In fact, it probably added to my plate, but you know, it makes me feel better. I like coming home if my bed's made. So it's worth waking up five minutes earlier to get out of bed, to make that bed. Yes. So that when I come home, I can kind of decompress. It's it's that intentional love of your future self, not the disappearance of work in the moment. I need to tweet that out later. That is <laughs> the best, best definition I have ever heard of self-care. And I am 100% behind that. I used to, t- like, I am very much an introvert. And I know that sounds strange because when I actually get to talk about SEL, I'm so excited. But when I'm done working with groups of people, I need to retreat mm-hmm. into myself. I've even told my kids when they were younger, I'd come home from school and they're, they're like, ah. I'm like, I just need 20 minutes, please. Let me go into the room. I need 20 minutes to decompress. And I come out, I'm on a whole new person and you get the mom I want to be. And I am like ready to go what that's looked like for me over quarantine is 20 minutes of meditation in the middle of the day. 
um, to the point that I'm worried that what that's going to look like, like if life ever quote gets back to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like laying in my bed, I've got the fan going because I like the noise. I've got my weighted blanket. <laughs> yeah. I need that to rejuvenate, to reset my mind and to be able to function at the level I know I want to be at until 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm going to come with another hard hitting question. So you can always take a pass if you want. So one of the things that's always interesting to me, let's, let's talk about SEL in the classroom first, and then I'll kind of bring it into, to adults you can't decide on Monday that you want to be an SEL focused teacher for Tuesday and expect that it's going to go zero to a hundred overnight. Right. Like there has already been emotional things established. I'm not saying wait till July, but like the summer is a great time to really think about the culture of your classroom. Right. We're, we're talking, it's a, it's a culture shift. It's not a program. And so how are you going to bring some vulnerability? How are you going to support students when they feel vulnerable, right? Not how do you make students vulnerable? It is not your job to push students out of their comfort zone. How are you going to support them when they feel vulnerable? And, you know, it's, it's a found, you've got to build a foundation. You can't go zero to a hundred. So I'm saying that to beginning teachers, because I think a lot of times we're overwhelmed we want to be doing everything at once. This is one of those things you're really going to have to take it step by step, day by day. But now we get to schools. (laughs) And my thing with staff, you know, you look at PLCs, you look at whole staff, you, you, you have all these mini microcosms within a big microcosm inside of, you know, it keeps going. Right. And so how do you start establishing a foundation for SEL among adults when I would venture, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I would venture most schools that's not a primary focus with adults right now? I agree on everything you just said. I feel like you're a soul sister. Can we keep talking for like long times, yeah. periods of time? Yeah. <laughs> um, can I plug what I'm creating right now and Please why do. I created it this way? So after years of research and collecting data for districts, like an Ivan SEL implementation audit, knowing that there are three factors that need to be in place to ensure sustainability in a system so that it doesn't become a program. But there are also things that need to happen. You just cannot go in and say, teachers do this. Mm -hmm. It has to be built over time. And often people want immediate results, but we know that change, true change takes three to five years. So when we're talking about a shift and like, okay, I wanna do this, where do I start? I don't ask the teachers to do anything with the kids at first. And so I've put together with the audit an SEL implementation framework. It has three different phases to it. Each phase has three modules that talk about what is social emotional learning? How does it influence your brain? Why is it important to have an understanding about emotions when we're talking about learning? But the deep dive is first assessing our own social emotional learning. Yes. Where are we at any given time? Because it doesn't matter what program I do with the students, 
during morning meeting, if a student responds in a way that I find, quote, displeasing and I snap at them, I've just lost everything I did in that morning meeting. We have to live this all the time. And so I talk about like assessing yourself at, at multiple times of the day. Where do you think you are? I also look at let's assess characters, right? In movies and television shows, where are they at on in, in, in social emotional learning? Like, and I found this great site that has like a picture of Sheldon from Big Bang <laughs> Theory. And then you have a picture of Hitch um, from the movie Hitch with uh, Will Smith. Yeah. And there are two different spectrums of the continuum around um, social awareness. Sheldon mm -hmm. has no sense of what other people are thinking or feeling or experiencing. And Hitch is hyper aware of where people are at. And so let's assess books and characters in history. And, and then I'd say, let's start assessing our students. Mm -hmm. I assess people all the time when I meet them. I'm like, where are they in the Myers-Briggs, Kirsten? <laughs> like, I'm an INFJ. Are they an INFJ? I do the same thing with social emotional learning. Like, where are they in terms of self-awareness? Where are they in terms of self-management? And I meet them where they're at. And mm -hmm. I try to adjust what do they need based on that? And so we have these activities where we talk about like, here's a situation where students, something happens with students, pick one of those students and let's say, what are their SEL strengths right now? And mm -hmm. what's an SEL skill that they could work on developing? And how can you as the teacher help them develop in that skill? Yeah. I think about too, if I call it, if I had a redo, I have times when I think back like, oh, if I ever saw this student again, and my students now actually I are like 38, 40 years old and, and have kids. Um, but I think if I ever saw them, I'd wanna say, I am so sorry for the way I responded to you because I was so wrong. Your response was a cry for something and I responded this way and that wasn't appropriate. Yeah. Um, so like if I had a redo, knowing what I know about the brain and, and the way that the limbic system works and the reptilian brain and, and the neocortex, I would not have responded that way because it wasn't personal. It was you trying to figure out SEL skills and how to function. And me as the adult should have known better. Um, and so it's, it's not about, oh, let's do this program in this book because then it's going to come off as fake. The kids are going to see right through it. You need to build your own self. You need to build your own awareness of SEL, reflect on it yourself, think about your interactions with people, um, and then think about where might I be able to integrate this into my classroom. If I have groups of students working together, instead of just having them respond out with the math problem or their um, you know, opening statement of their essay, have them also talk about what actions did you take in your group that helped your group be successful? What actions did you take that might've hindered some group success right here? And what can we do next time? So giving students an opportunity to talk about those pieces. Um, I think you need to build the trust with the kids over time, especially if it wasn't something that was on your radar in the beginning. They need to see that you're authentic and genuine about it if you're going to facilitate it. Yeah. And I think a simple way uh, 
as adults and even as like a beginning teacher coming to a PLC to kind of implement this is, you know, uh, with a few of my friends recently, we've made a decision to eliminate the words good and fine in responses. And I discovered how limited my vocabulary is um, with naming emotions. And when you can't name it, you can't figure out the cause. Um, and so I'll do a plug right now, not for me, but um, I have the mood meter app. Have you? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And I love it because first of all, I use, I, we've always used with kids at our school, red, yellow, green, blue zones, zones of regulation. If they're not, you, if they're, if you're not using them in school, and especially if you're with elementary school kids, you've got to get them because that is the easiest way for them to start developing a strong vocabulary, but being able to say what zone you're in, and then it helps give you a lot of the words as you slide up and down and left to right. And it started giving, increasing my vocabulary of like, oh, this is how I'm feeling. But the last step is why. And I think that why is so important because you know, even, even when we work with kids, um, I, I'm an assistant principal at an elementary school. And a lot of times, one of the greatest terms that I have learned from kindergarten is big feelings. <laughs> and I think that, you know, our kids and, and I use it with adults all the time now, and, and I don't say it in a sarcastic way, but I'll say, you know, it seems like everyone in this room has really big feelings right now. I don't know what they are, but it seems like they're really big feel. I can feel the big feelings. Um, so maybe we can start trying to name them, but also name the why. You'll see in a school, a new program will come out and the adults feel anxious. And then, well, why? I have so many ideas and thoughts. When you talk about an adult feels anxious, when I'm given a script for SEL, which is how it started in the beginning, I was shaking. I'm like, what if I mess this up? What if I don't follow exactly what's on the script? I had to learn more about those five competencies and trust my own professional experience and my own, trust my gut, trust myself that I can do this. And over time now, I can watch a group. I can see what's happening. I know what skills they need to build and I know what the questions to ask. Or I know um, Tom Stecker has all these experiential activities. I'll be like, um, they need this skill. We need to work on that. And he's got an experiential activity that I can set up my group through purposely because I know it's going to frustrate them or I know it's going to make, but they need to experience that so they know how to process it. Absolutely. And they're doing it in a safe space. Um, and I love how you said the, the big feelings. My, my son, who's in 10th grade now, came home in second grade. And he was, he loves school and he was so angry and upset. And, but those are my words. I'm like, Jared, what's going on? He goes, I was overheated today in school. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow, what? You have never said this before. I'm like, tell me what your body felt like. And he's like, my arms were, and legs were like pins and needles and my stomach was flipping and I was overheated. I'm like, what was happening in that moment? Exactly what you just said, like, what was happening? And sometimes that's hard with young kids because I don't know that they understand time the way we do. Yes. So like my niece will be crying about something that happened two years ago sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what just happened here? Um, but 
what just he had to write an essay and he didn't want to and I'm like what did you do with those big feelings and I'm like oh gosh what did you do because you can throw things and yell and and then he's like I put my head down on my desk and I breathed Mm -hmm. thank you thank Mm -hmm. you yes but then his teacher noticed that other kids in the class were having the same response so she did an activity with them and that's that's social awareness um let me also just tell you Pluchek's wheel of emotion also it goes from now there are eight primary emotions i wouldn't use those words with young kids but it does show how it gets less intense as you go out yep it looks like a flower and it also shows how emotions overlap and mm-hmm. that oh my gosh even as an adult i get emotion and i'm like what's happening here yeah well and i i would i would challenge you that I, I do think it's hard for kids sometimes with time and for them to just all of a sudden be crying. You know, I, I talked to a kid a few weeks ago, just, just sobbing. And it was like, well, what, like, why are you feeling this way? And it was like, oh, you know, my uncle died two years ago. Adults do that too, but we suppress it. And we have adults. Good point. We have adults that react in ways that we sit back and we're like, that's irrational. Like, and I know I've done it. I've reacted to things where people around the room are like, that is not an appropriate reaction to what is happening right now. But due to whatever baggage you're coming into that situation with, all of a sudden you've got these big feelings. I think what's interesting about with kids is sometimes they articulate it so bluntly that we almost want to question it. Like if, if I was carrying around some baggage and it made me really upset and and those around me notice it, I'd be like, Oh, it, you know, no big deal. It just happened. It's fine. It's, it's over it. Something happened before it's fine. I was a little anxious. We're moving on instead of just saying, what actually it was, but for kids to just come out and say, I'm sad today because it's raining and my uncle died when it was raining. We just don't, as adults, we don't know what to do with that bluntness. And we should be thankful for it. Yes. (laughs) I love that you, you are so right in everything you just said. And I love that because I'm like, yeah. And, and I like that you made that connection too, because maybe it did happen two years ago, but something reminded them of it. So what was that that trigger there that set them off and reminded them of that. Um, Cause we do, and, and it's the way that we've been brought up too, right? So I think about my own upbringing and it was like, you don't tell anybody what's happening. Like everything is kept in the family. And, and I had a great family, but it was just, it was the way it was. And so, you know, versus like, oh, well, you don't, you don't talk about your problems or how you feel about things. And so it's, it's perpetual, but we know that over time, that's not the, always the best way to deal with it. So how can we help our students be able to give, I love that you said, when we can name it, we can begin to deal with it. And I think Mr. Rogers said something similar to that. <laughs> it was fabulous. But if we don't talk about something, we never know how to deal. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we like to end every show with five random uh, rapid fire questions. So I'm going to start you off. What is your before school routine? Three cups of coffee. (laughs) I like to just scroll through social media and I need three cups of coffee before I'm ready to have a conversation. Are you, what are you a flavored coffee drinker? Um, 
I got rid of all sugar from my drinks two years ago. So I just do milk and actually it's lactate and that's sad. Okay. You, we're, we're going to stay on after this and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a, a thing you want to try. Okay. One word that students you work with would use to describe you. Giving. What is your favorite school supply? Erasable pens. Oh, that's a good one. I don't think that's come up yet. Yeah. <laughs> Love them. Um, what's your favorite mantra or saying when things get tough? When you know better, do better, Maya Angelou. Mm. And what is one thing you wish someone would have told you when you were a beginning teacher? There are many more joys than there are heartaches. Mm. Absolutely. There really are. So true. What are you working on and how can people connect with you? Um, I think the best way to connect is via my website right now, because it has a connect button that you can schedule time <laughs> with me. Um, it is www. Do people even have to say those anymore? Yeah, just do it. Resonance Ed. So R-E-S-O-N-A-N-C-E ed.com. I know it's a mouthful, but I love the, the idea of resonating and like imp empowering and impacting people. Absolutely. So that's why I have that. And what am I working on? I am about to release my SEL implementation framework, which offers uh, personalized support for administrators and staff in implementing a sustainable, scalable system of SEL. Wow. Coaching support, all the uh, activities, um, some slides um, that you can use. So if you're like, I know we need SEL, but I don't know where to start and do it. We've got you covered awesome. and we're going to work with you all along the way. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you, Jen. This was an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Well, that is all folks. I hope that this episode was beneficial to you. Um, and that you really understood that before we can take care of our students and teach them social emotional learning skills, we really have to be willing to do the work and take the time to do it for ourselves. And I know that as a beginning teacher, it's not always easy to find that time or space, but it's something that we have to work towards finding um, or it's going to really impact our teaching career. This episode will be dropping on August 25th, which means that next week, September 1st, we are going to be doing our debriefing of this episode at hashtag BTW podcast chat. Make sure that you are following us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook for updates, helpful tips, and um, different giveaways that we'll be doing throughout the season. Also, a friendly reminder that if you want to support the show, Season 2 merch is up. We are sending our first batch out to listeners who ordered tomorrow. Um, and we will have more available for order. So make sure you check that out on our Twitter and Instagram. Guys, I hope that you have a great week. I know that for a lot of you, the school year is just starting. So start it off strong. Uh, remember to continue to learn, connect, and grow together, and I will see you next time. Thanks.